following sermon is from the Westminster Pulpit, extending the worship ministry of Westminster Presbyterian Church, Lancaster, Pennsylvania. We are a local congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America. Please contact us for permission before reproducing this message in any format. Reading from Ephesians chapter 6, the section about the armor of God, Ephesians 6, beginning at verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God so that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Father, we pray that you would give us insight into your word that applies this day, this week, to each of our lives. We need your Holy Spirit to apply your word to us, and we cry out that you would help each one of us as we seek you in the hearing of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. 2014 is the 100th anniversary of the beginning of World War I. Marvin Olowski, an editor of World Magazine, has done a series, a series of articles over the past months, and you can tell he's been reflecting on World War I and the series of events that set into motion not only World War I and the horrendous nature of that world, but really setting the stage for what would become World War II. Very difficult times in the history of the world. And as he describes some of the books he's read about World War I, talks about nations that are pretty equally matched in Europe throwing their forces against one another. And to think nothing of throwing 150,000 men's lives away in a single stroke and not gaining an inch of soil. That was the trench warfare of World War I. Here we are told in Ephesians 6 that the Christian is engaged in war. It's spiritual warfare, but it's real warfare. You and I sometimes live our lives under the illusion that the Christian life is more like an ocean cruise on soft water rather than a war. The Puritan author William 
Gurnall, in his famous treatise on spiritual warfare, tells us not to think like that. He talks about the spiritual warfare that every Christian is engaged in, and he says, don't think of it like a ship sailing peacefully into a harbor on a calm day. He says, no, rather think of your life as a ship heading into a harbor, ultimately, eternally, into that harbor in the midst of a storm, a ship with its sails shredded, a ship with leaks springing in the hull and waves beating against it, and enemies in hot pursuit with their cannon blasting away at it. And he says that's a more accurate portrayal of the Christian's experience, the spiritual warfare. These verses remind us that we are engaged in a great struggle, and we must not forget that fact. Even on beautiful summer evenings, the Christian's engaged in spiritual warfare. It's instructive, I think, that the Apostle Paul concludes this great epistle on this note of spiritual warfare. The book of Ephesians contains many wonderful truths about what God has done for us in Christ, about this fundamental blessing of union with Christ by which God pours into our lives blessing, about the whole new society that God is building the church as a dwelling of the Holy Spirit, declaring to the world the wisdom of God and how we are to go on growing in Christ. Ephesians talks about how sanctification takes place, putting off sin, putting on Christ-likeness as we trust in Christ, and how we really change by degree from glory to glory. Yes, just a step at a time, but nevertheless increasing in the likeness of Christ. And right before this section on spiritual warfare, the apostle has talked about very mundane applications, we might say, applying the wonderful gospel to marriage and to parenting and to the workplace with masters and slaves, we would say employers and employees. And so very ordinary in one sense, but now it's as if God is saying to us when he comes to this section on spiritual warfare, he's saying, But you don't have a perspective on the nature of Christian life, on all of this that I've said, if you fail to keep in mind that the Christian life is one of spiritual warfare, and it never ceases to do that. So we want to look at our enemy in this war. What I want to summarize, we can't go into this text in great depth, but look at what it means to be strong in the Lord in light of this warfare. The first thing we find is the implication about our great enemy, the devil and all of his hosts. It's interesting because the world snickers at the idea of spiritual wickedness, of there being a real being, Satan, or that there are beings like demons. But it's interesting as you see the news and about something like the Islamic State of Iraq and so forth, Syria, ISIS, you see that people really do think it's deeply evil. And they almost use satanic kind of terms when they see something so extreme. But usually the world just disregards the idea that there is spiritual warfare. But we believe the word of God, and the Bible clearly teaches that Satan, along with the world and the flesh, are the Christian's foes. And we see here that he's very 
powerful. There's a whole string of verbs uh, of words in verse 12 to describe that. He says, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, human beings in other words, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. The Ephesian young believers would have been very aware of this. Most, if not all of them, except those maybe from Jewish backgrounds, would have come out of occult-type spiritual darkness at Ephesus. They would know very much about the darkness and the power behind occult idolatry. They had come out of that. They had come to Christ. And Paul is saying, still, there are spiritual forces to be reckoned with in the Christian life. Satan is a usurper. He has been utterly defeated and cast down by Christ, yet his time is not yet fully complete to be cast into the lake of fire. And so he is still, in a sense, 1 Peter 5, 8, uh, prowling around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And so Peter tells them, resist him, standing firm in the faith. We must not ever make the mistake of thinking that Satan is somehow even close to being equal with God. Satan is a created being. He's not omnipotent. He's not omnipresent. He's not omniscient. None of that. But he's still a powerful adversary. Peter talks about a lion. My son-in-law and I were exploring the backside of some uh, high rock formations in Texas this year, and we were finding these shallow caves. And I kind of left Ben behind at one point. He was uh, maybe 50 yards away, and I was going up this embankment, and I came to this perfect uh, shallow cave, and the thought crossed my mind, uh, mountain lions. And suddenly I slowed down and said, hey, Ben, I found a shallow cave. I thought I'd start making noise at least. You know, we had made enough noise by that time that any mountain lion in the area probably would have been gone or we would have been gone, one or the other by that point. But as I approached that cave, and sometimes we've found caves like that and you, you can find evidences of a, of a lion's den there. There wasn't a cave there. But it did give me pause. None of us like the idea of encountering even an American mountain lion, let alone a lion as we usually think of it. But this text is reminding us that Satan is like a roaring lion. He's, he's got all his cosmic authorities and powers arrayed against the church. And we think of the church in its weakness, and yet the church in the power of God, standing in the spirit of God, through the word of God, against this array of satanic forces. It reminds me of David going out to meet Goliath. And we know he Saul, King Saul gave him his armor to put on. And and we can just imagine David standing there with this armor that was just much too big for him. Imagine the breastplate kind of coming up to his nose and, you know, kind of hard. He couldn't move his arms, you know, and he took it off and said, I can't do this. I need to go out in my normal garb. And he took the stones in his sling And the thing that strikes me is that the armor described here is the armor suited to Christian warfare. And we need to be clothed with strength in the Lord in the armor of God because we have a powerful foe, even though we in and of ourselves are very weak. So he's powerful, he's crafty. 
In verse 11, it talks about put on the whole armor of God so that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Satan is a shrewd opponent. If this were a chess game, he'd be a world champion. He's had years of experience. Before any of us were born, he was applying his trade of deceiving the saints, of seeking to accuse and destroy them. He's not God, yes. He's not sovereign, but he's subtle. He's cunning. He's much wiser and powerful, more powerful than any of us in and of ourselves. And we know from Scripture that he seldomly attacks openly. He makes himself into an angel of light. He lies to us. He deceives us. He makes temptation look reasonable to us and plausible and really not all that bad. And he takes the gradual approach to our souls. Someone has likened his work in tempting us to the experience of going down a long winding staircase and so that you can't see the bottom of it. You're going down, you can see right in front of you. It doesn't look all that bad. You don't see what's to come at the end. It's like that lyric to that song from long ago. How can it be wrong if it feels so right? That's really a lyric of the world. And Satan works to isolate us. He works to accuse us, to drive us from God and our ability to come to God and lift our hearts to him. He brings division in the church. He has many strategies. William Gurnall points to some of the main ones. He says, Satan's main design in his scheming is to draw us into sin. And he often chooses the most advantageous season to attack us. And then Gurnall goes on to list various kinds of times that Satan especially attacks. And he says, he especially attacks those who have recently come to Christ and they aren't yet confirmed in a strong path of obedience and trust in the Lord, and he seeks to trip them up. And he seeks to encourage them to think, I must not be a true believer. I might as well give up. And Satan is essentially seeking to get that young convert to follow him instead of Christ. Or he also lists the time of great affliction. And he talks about Jesus during his 40-day fast and Satan coming to him then. Or he talks about Job and Job's experience. And, and what Gurnall says is that Satan comes with his schemes and he loves to lie about the love of Christ and the care of God for his own and to insinuate doubt into our hearts about, does God really care for me? Does he love me in Christ? He also lists this one, when the Christian is engaged in a, an important enterprise for God. And he talks about Zechariah 3 and the high priest Joshua is, is resisted by Satan. And he talks about Peter and his confession of Christ and just different ways that you might be doing great things for God and that is a time that great trial may arrive and great temptation. He talks about even after great manifestations of God's love. Maybe it's coming down after a mountain-type experience. Satan attacks. I like this one phrase. Colonel says, parley not, in other words, don't talk, parley not with that in thy thoughts, which you do not intend to let into your heart. He's talking about the fact that 
when thoughts come into our minds and Satan is attacking us in some way, he's basically saying, don't even give Satan the time of day to talk to him. Don't, don't debate those thoughts. Resist them. Put them out of your mind. Fight them with the word of God. Maybe some of you read that newspaper story about two burglaries this week or in the last week or two when one was a tree trimmer company, so-called, that came to somebody's front door and the female member of the company talked to the home owner while the male person of the tree trimmer team went in and went into the house another way and, and robbed the house. Don't talk. And a similar kind of story about a driveway ceiling company. And they used the old plan that one of them took the woman down to check her fuse box while the other one went upstairs and robbed the house. And the whole point of the article that I took is don't talk to anyone you don't trust. Don't let them into your house. Don't talk with Satan. Don't let his thoughts enter your minds when he uses his cunning and his scheming and his power. And so there's Satan and his evil forces arrayed against us. He knows every trick in the book. And apart from being strong in the Lord, that would overwhelm us. But then there's this command, verse 10, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Here's this command, be strong in the Lord. Clearly, we see it implies that we must recognize our great need for spiritual strength in the Lord. Psalm 124 is a beautiful psalm, and it describes the idea that it's only in the Lord that we stand. Actually, hymn number 614 is, is a hymn in our hymnal based on this psalm. I was going to pick that one if people stopped raising their hands, but you, you don't ever stop raising your hands. But it's a beautiful song. It says, if, the Lord had, if it had not been the Lord who was on our, our side, let Israel now say, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side, when people rose up against us, then they would have swallowed us up alive. It goes on to talk about how the flood would have just swept us away. The psalmist clearly has a, an understanding of his own weakness, recognizing that our strength is in the Lord alone. It's like when Joshua was given the commission by God to lead the Israelites into the land, and he's repeatedly commanded by God, be strong in the Lord, to meditate on the law of God day and night. In a sense, because spiritual warfare involves prayer, we might even say that it's more difficult than earthly warfare. It involves spiritual warfare, being strong in God and in his strength. And so, whether it's in your home, whether it's in your job this week, whether it's in your thoughts or words, whether it's in a particular relationship, there is this sense that if you're going to be strong in the Lord, being strong in the Lord begins with recognizing your own weakness and your dependence completely on the Lord. But then it means that we must be convinced of the power of God. The second half of verse 10, when it says, and in the strength of his might, that's what's called a, a Hebraic expression. It's the way in Hebrew it would have been described. And it's highlighting the almighty power of God. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. It's like God saying to Abraham in Genesis 17, verse 1, I am God Almighty, walk before me. So many times God encourages believers by a description of his greatness and power. 
Isaiah 26, verse 4. Trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord, the Lord is the rock eternal. It's promises like that that would sustain the Israelites through their captivity, through that very dark time, because of the Lord's strength. When I was a boy, I was captivated by Edgar Rice Burroughs and the novels that he wrote, especially Tarzan. And, and if Tarzan met a lion, if anybody was with him, they didn't have to worry about it because Tarzan took care of the lion, even if he didn't have his knife, you know. He was strong. We wouldn't want to meet a lion, but we have the strength of the Lord to meet Satan prowling as a roaring lion. And our Lord is not like earthly generals who are behind the lines. No, he goes before us. He is with us. We must believe in his power on our behalf. And that requires that we actively set our faith on God through Jesus Christ in order to receive the strength that he gives. What kind of temptation is it that you're facing this week? Maybe a particular fear. Maybe a desire for something in your life that you know the Lord is calling you to submit to his will, his timing, his plan. And it's hard to do that. It's much easier to want it your way and in your time. Maybe some particular discouragement that has come into your life and you feel overwhelmed and you feel like you can't go on. Whatever the trial or the action or the temptation, sometimes we're like the person in Proverbs 30 who says, don't give me too much or I will forget you. And don't give me too little or I will curse you. But the Lord sometimes gives us many joys, or sometimes he gives us very difficult pathways to walk. His goal in all of this is that we are strong in him. But then I would also like to highlight the call to put on the Lord's strength, the Lord's armor, even in an evil day. Verse 13 tells us, therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. The great British theologian John Owen excurses about what is an evil day in this verse. And he boils it down to a particular, he basically says it's any time of particular temptation and trial. Think of it this way. Think of a conjunction of the world, the flesh, our sinful self, and the devil all coming into conjunction at once. That produces an evil day. One example he gives, or one type of this, he says, is when Satan, by the permission of God, has gotten some particular advantage against our soul. And he gives us an example, Luke 22, with Peter, and Jesus saying to him, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. John Owen says that's a particular instance of that, that when Satan, always by the permission of God, just like it was with Job, by God's permission, and God has his own purposes and ends in mind, allows Christians to be sifted in this sense, some particular temptation. It's an evil day when that occurs, and we need to be strong in the Lord. Another example of that, or a different type of that, he says, is when a person's inward desires meet with particularly provoking occasions. It's like when our own desires leap out 
And there's an occasion that's just suited for us, it seems, to bring us into temptation of some kind. He says, that's an evil day. He gives the example in 2 Samuel 11 when David was tempted to number Israel out of his pride. And he could do it. He was king, but he knew it was wrong to do that because it it showed that he wasn't depending on the Lord. Or another example is when Abraham was tempted to lie about Sarah being his wife. And twice he falls into that. He says that's an example of an evil day. And then a third type is simply when there's great affliction. And talks about the example of Job. Maybe one of those three is something that you're experiencing this week or you will experience this week. And what Scripture is calling us here is to respond by standing in God's strength. We don't have time to go into all the pieces of the armor of God. But when you think of it, they all talk about essentially trusting in God's word through the power of faith in Christ. Think of it this way. You resist by, first of all, guarding your heart. You guard your heart. Some of you know when ragweed season starts. I read an article the other day that you can almost tell in your calendar when August 15th comes because August 15th is when the ragweed starts flying. And if you're allergic to ragweed, you know. I don't know if you experience that or not, but if you have a problem like that, you probably get your allergy pills ready to go on August 14th and start to take them because you know, okay, I'm susceptible to this. Or maybe you have a car that tends to break down in a certain way. Our neighborhood boy came over, the guy next door, to borrow our lawnmower. His dad had said, well, if Mr. Light lets you borrow his lawnmower, go ahead, because he would have had to use the push mower and their lawnmower. So he gets our mower, he gets it out, I hear him over there out in the driveway trying to start it up. And I realized he doesn't know the trick to the lawnmower. You have to do the choke a certain way, back and forth, back and forth, and then starts fast. So I had to, you know how these things are. Well, you know your heart. Now, you don't know your heart as well as you need to know it. And only God truly knows our hearts. But you know what kind of besetting sins Satan tends to tempt, tempt you with. You know what situations and what opportunities and what occasions are likely to entangle you and trip you up. To stand in an evil day, you have to be aware of your heart to some degree. You have to understand and be prepared by knowing that you need to be strong in the Lord. And then secondly, to be filled with the Spirit. The book of Ephesians talks a lot about being filled with the Spirit. When the temptation approaches Yes, to flee, but also to go to God for strength, to be filled with the Spirit. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Meet the temptation at its entrance with thoughts of faith concerning Christ and the cross. To be filled with the Spirit, looking to Him. And then, above all, to fix your faith on Jesus Christ by taking up the whole armor of God. We're exhorted to do this again and again. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against Satan's schemes in the evil day. And having done all to stand, 
there's this sense of alertness and perseverance in this. And you, you see this beautiful picture at the end of the text of Paul asking them to be praying for him. Here's Paul, an example in point of someone who we would think is strong in himself, but he's saying, I'm not. Pray for me that I might open my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. We, we might even be saying, for Paul, it was, an evil, it was an evil day. Here he was in chains, tempted and tried, and yet calling the church to pray for him, to fix your faith on Jesus Christ. I think it's instructive for us, as you read in Romans 13, the summary is given there. It says, rather clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ. We could say that way. The whole armor of God is essentially clothing yourself in the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul goes on, and do not even think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh or make no provision for the flesh, another translation says. So in other words, clothe yourself anew in Jesus Christ. You've come to Christ. You've believed in Christ. You've cast yourself upon him in faith. Now continue to stand in him. Call upon him for help in every evil day that might come. Put on the armor of God. So what is your situation this evening? Maybe you will be facing an evil day this week, needing to put on the armor of God. Maybe you're not even aware of Satan's schemes in your life. Maybe you don't recognize that there's a spiritual war going going on. Maybe you've never entrusted your soul to Jesus in the first place and given him your life and bowed before him. And the first step then of of fighting in this spiritual warfare is to come to Jesus Christ and to be saved. And then to be aware of the enemy. And maybe it's not an evil day for you this week. Maybe it won't be for another week or two or a year or two but to fortify your soul in Jesus Christ for the daily warfare that every Christian faces. Think of it like World War I. Sometimes Christians are in trench warfare, and they only advance by a foot or two or 10 yards, and then they get pushed back. That is often how Christian experience feels. Two steps forward, two steps back but it's to the glory of God as we stand in our Savior, Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Father, help us to stand in his strength alone, your strength alone, to put on the gospel armor, to put on each piece with prayer, to find you as our soul, strength, our rock. We want life to be easy. We confess that we often wish that uh, we didn't have to enter this spiritual warfare. We wish that we didn't have to take up our cross daily, deny ourselves, and follow Jesus Christ. But we know that that is the way ahead for each of us. And we know that's true for each of us this week. That even if we're on vacation this week, there's still spiritual warfare to fight. There's still a walk to walk with Jesus Christ. Help us to do that Give us your strength. We call upon you in Christ's name. Amen.